Welcome to this week's episode of Safe Room, a horror video game podcast and proud member of Bloody Disgusting's Bloody FM podcast network. I'm your host, Jay Krieger. And I'm the other one, Neil Bow. And this week we're heading into the tension-laced trenches of the immersive horror sim Amnesia the Bunker. Developed by Frictional Games, Amnesia the Bunker is set in World War I and puts the player in the rugged boots of French soldier Henry Clement. Henry has been trapped in an underground bunker with a monster known as the Beast, which hunts him mercilessly as Henry attempts to find a way back to the war-torn surface. And a special thank you to PR for providing a code. So Neil, the second episode of the show is where we chatted about 2020's Amnesia Rebirth, which is not only another reminder of how long we've been doing this for, but also (laughs) um, it kind of shows our rooted love of the Amnesia series, right? And the reason that I mentioned that is because Every single time there's been a new Amnesia game, it feels as if, you know, Frictional has really gone out of their way to continue to evolve and push the Amnesia experience rather than it just being this sort of largely retreading on what worked previously, but then kind of just giving us a new time period, right? Yeah. And, you know, I think with the bunker, it's probably their biggest swing since their jump from, you know, Penumbra to Amnesia the Dark Descent in terms of gameplay, right? This feels like the biggest swing in terms of developing an experience that kind of strays from the traditional, you're walking in this linear path, you're going to have these story beats pop up, they're kind of unmissable to a degree, and then, you know, you kind of are going to be dodging monsters and whatnot. And with the bunker, the player really does have an unprecedented amount of choice, you know, unprecedented in the sense of when we're talking about amnesia. Um, and so, yeah, I'm really interested to kind of get down to, you know, how they take that immersive sim quality of gameplay and apply it to the Amnesia brand with you today. Yeah, I mean, it, in so many ways, it feels like uh, an old school immersive sim. In terms, it doesn't really explain things to you very much. And uh, the best examples don't tend to, but I think Arcane have sort of eased people into sort of a lot of these mechanics more in recent years. Where they, they do try to sort of give you, well, you can do this, you can do this, and you can do this. So here's your base abilities. Now you can sort of figure out beyond that what you can do. Whereas here it's like, well, we'll tell you how to do this, this, and this, which is, you know, very basics. But yeah, there is something else, you know, to this. We are not going to tell you how you could do this or how you could do it. There's no, I mean, the perfect part about it is it has the approach, which is there is more than one way to skin a cat, so to speak. You can go, in this way you can go that way you could drag something over here to get into there and it's an interesting way of doing it because in a horror horror sort of setting where you are constantly in fear of pursuit you don't have the time normally to sort of figure out everything as you would in some immersive scenes where you can just sit stroking your chin going if i do this and then do that you know like that and that really helps this sort of simplified set of, you know, mechanics, really, when you think of it, when you compare it to most immersive sims. You know, on the surface, you go, well, it's not very complicated. But when you factor that in, it's probably the right level of, uh, you know, interaction uh, and things you can do. I think it'd be very easy to miss the point of this game and play it the, not the wrong way, but in a way that doesn't really explore its best side, you know. And I think I was just saying to you earlier before recording this that 
it's now shown me that you now whoever's making an amnesia game, you know, for a long time, the comments against a machine for pigs, they get one by, done by the Chinese room, was that, oh, it doesn't feel like amnesia, or it's not the same, or like that. But every game is different now. Every single game has something to it that makes it unique, you know? I think that's now more clear than ever. Um, so, yeah, Rebirth on the surface is very much like the Dark Descent in a lot of what it does mechanically you know, in terms of certain traits, certain beats. But the structure of it is, you know, in a non-condescending way, is closer to what the game's amnesia had inspired would become more like walking simulators. There was that era, you know, and then that's say the first half of that decade after Amnesia came out, The Dark Descent. And then the second half of the decade is games like Alien Isolation, things like that, which take that sort of mix of walking sim, you know, uh, helpless horror sort of thing and you know, evolving on that. So again, being behind the curve, so to speak, but tackling it as you know a market leader, if you will, is a fascinating way of going about your games. And I think that's been the ongoing quest throughout the Amnesia series is to just sort of iterate and move beyond what your own, you know, the games that have been influenced by you. Yeah, you know, I think that's probably the most remarkable <laughs> right. thing about this is I, you can instantly list a number of games where you go, yes, yeah, like this, it's like that, it's like that. But it's still very much amnesia. Now, whatever way you look at it, and that is the greatest quality of what it's doing. Well, in terms of speaking to immersive sims in the horror space, you know, when leading up to this release, and then once the game was actually released and people were able to play it, you know, the comparison that I saw getting floated around a lot for Amnesia the Bunker was comparing it to Alien Isolation, right? Mm. Which is a game that we've covered that we both are very fond of. And, you know, while I think it is an apt comparison, perhaps from a surface level yes. glance or examination, once you actually get down to it, you know, the bunker feels a little bit more evolutionary on immersive sims, specifically for the horror space. And it's yeah. mostly tied to something that you had started to mention, which is the gameplay mechanic of light, right? So yeah. there's going to be, once you wake up in the bunker, as, you know, all protagonist amnesia games do, you have amnesia. You don't really know what's going on. And then you sort of have your home base, if you will, which is this stronghold room within the bunker. And off of that stronghold is a generator. And so periodically, you need to be feeding that generator fuel so that way the bunker has lights, which basically keep the monster at bay. And it keeps them you know, within the walls and whatnot. Granted, as any survival horror game, there are going to be limited resources, so fuel is not just this indispensable sort of thing that is a very finite resource. So, you know, periodically when the lights go down, the monster will then just begin freely patrolling the yeah. hallways and whatnot of the bunker itself. And that sense of urgency in that, okay, I need to not only begin to understand the layout of this bunker, I need to understand my goals, which, you know, are not very handholding, but at the same time, they have that map that at least points you in the right direction of the vicinity, which I like. I like having that level of handholding where it's like, hey, if you head north to the prison, there is an objective there that you need to complete at some time. Like, that's perfect because then it doesn't result uh, end up with me just kind of like 
wandering in circles for hours and hours and hours, which, yeah. you know, is not going to be fun for me. And it's not going to reflect well on my time with the game. But, <laughs> you know, what I did like was that sense of urgency that while you are searching out these different goals and, you know, looking for items, if you're not keeping an eye on your stopwatch, which you can sync up with the generator, then you might end up fucking yourself as soon as you complete that objective when you end up trying to return to the stronghold and all of a sudden you've got this, you know, bunker that's shrouded in darkness and the monster is becoming this obstacle in your way once again. Um, and I think that that sense of urgency largely dictated the major differences that I found between the bunker and the comparisons to something like Alien Isolation, which after a certain point with Alien Isolation, if you're just crouching around, you can really take your time doing whatever you want to do. I felt yeah. more freedom once I got over that initial hump of, okay, if I you know, run around like an idiot, the xenomorph is going to find me instantly. If I alert the, you know, the working Joes, they will alert the xenomorph and this and that. But then once you sort of master those mechanics, it becomes easy to avoid the xenomorph outside of a couple of instances where it's unavoidable for cinematic purposes. And in the bunker, I found that it was much more organic that, okay, well, if the monster or the beast becomes more prevalent, it's because I wasn't paying attention to time or I didn't deviate time to hunting down resources to keep that generator up and running, which, if anything, it encourages me to replay this game, not to get too far ahead of myself, but <laughs> I already want to replay this game because the immersive sim nature lends itself to, okay, player choice. I get to experiment. I get to teach myself the fundamentals through trial and error. I also get to understand this bunker layout in more intricacies, the more time I spend in it. And a first playthrough is good for about the amount of time it takes to get through it, which is like four and a half hours or so, if that. But I still don't feel like I have a mastery of the bunker, which makes me excited to dive back in because I get to dictate my experience the second time around and purposefully go against the grain and potentially have an entirely new experience because wow. every playthrough that you have it has a new layout for different types of equipment in these things, which is really, really exciting, I think, to dive right back into this after, like I said, four to five hours with it. Yeah, I mean, that I was going to say that is probably the key thing there, isn't it? Is that you have this sort of procedural generation going on uh, between playthroughs that means that you know, the codes you need, the equipment you need can be in different places. There are some constants still, you know, that make sense and uh, stay the same for story's sake. But generally, there's an unpredictability on show here that makes it difficult to master on one level, but it makes you rely more upon the things you know you can handle. The know that you know the, the, the things that are constant that you can utilize in your playthrough. Like you know what kind of traps can do. You get understand what items can do the more you use them. You know what sounds will draw the monster closer and what won't. Where you can be safe, where you can't be safe. Um, you know, one of the earliest tricks the game pulls on you is the whole very, you know, message on the wall to tell you that, you know, the creature is scared of the light sort of thing, you know, like kind of oversells the uh, idea that it, it's scared of the light because it will fucking come out. You can feel very overconfident the first time you see that and you go, oh, okay, so I, I can fuck around when the generator's on a bit more. No. You walk too loudly, you smash a door in rather than open it traditionally. He, that thing will come out and get you. No doubt about it. He is a 
keen as mustard to get you at that point. And, you know, I think it's a very vicious creature yeah, in terms of what it does and unforgiving in how easily it can find you if you're not... I think uh, we'll probably get to anecdotes later, but there are just times where you have, you know, you think a situation out, you get into it, and just certain things you didn't plan on change everything, and you get caught out. Yeah, You cannot stop this creature for long. I think it's the main thing. You, you can hurt it, you can harm it, you can slow it down, but it never stops coming. Yeah, and I, I love that about it. The music ties in brilliantly again, like Amnesia's music in the past has done very well, where it kind of signifies when you have that danger. And yeah, it is... That creature is... I don't know if it's quite as clever as the alien in terms of like the structures behind it, but I think because it's confined to a smaller area and so are you, and other things are in play that make it work, it's really smartly done. Again, I go back to this whole thing of limitations and drawing things back into a smaller package and making it all work like that. You know, it is a small scale version of what alien isolation does or even say prey, you know, in the later parts of prey. And that in itself is cool because I think yeah, those are both games where you, you're on sprawling space stations. You know, here you are in a bunker you know, when the game was first announced, I was thinking, uh, is that going to be like some sort of like bunker that doesn't make sense because, you know, it's some, it's all timey wimey, all out of time and space sort of thing, or, and it's endless loops because, yeah, we know what horror's like, and, you know, the, there's probably going to be some endless loop nonsense or whatever. But no, it, it's just this, it's laid out, and as you say, in that safe room, trademark, and it's there on the wall, you know? You have the map saying this is this area, this is this area. You can go wherever you want, whenever you want. Obviously, some things are not, you're not going to be able to get to unless you have the right item. And one of the great things early on is you can only save manually. And that's by sort of like turning the lantern on in the safe room. And that's great because autosave would be shit for this game. It would just ruin everything. And I don't think it would just end up with you being in, in a lot of trouble. But strangely, the manual save actually encourages you to sort of try things out. Because you know that if you fail, you're going to go back to that point you were at. And, um, you know, so many a time I found myself sort of, I fill up the generator after having a save, you know, as much as I could, go on a good explore in one area, see what I could find, try things out, see what the result of those things were. And, yeah, 90% of the time it ended with, be dying horribly, but still, <laughs> I learned something. In, yeah, which is a, a great way of handling death in this game. I think uh, you can go out with the idea that yeah, okay, I'm going to die, I'm going to end up back here, but you know, I, I, I will at least have learned something, which you know has that roguelike sort of element to it. You know, no, I have a hundred percent agree, and I think that the fact that it takes you a couple of deaths to realize like, no, I really do need to. And granted, when you die, you get a quote and half the time it says experimentation is rewarded with success at times or something along those mm. lines. Cause you really do have to view each life as this fleeting thing and treat it like a roguelite. Even if the game is not present itself as that, if you go in with that attitude, you start to view death as being more rewarding than it actually is. Initially, 
some people might be frustrated by, you know, I think there's only two save points in the entire game in terms of lanterns. Um, but in that restrictiveness, it really does allow you to approach things in a way where it's like, well, why don't I just say fuck it and I'll take a risk and try something and see if it works? Because even if I get that reset, it's going to take me less than five minutes to get back to that point and then I can attack this problem or this obstacle from a new way. And ultimately, I think that what I really appreciate also about the size of the bunker, because that was one of those things where I was like, okay, it claims to be an open world, but if you're in this bunker, is it going to feel like a bunker or is it just going to feel like a never-ending series of hallways, which then kind of is like, okay, that maybe doesn't necessarily utilize the historical setting in the best of ways. But I think the way that they work around that is the fact that you don't have access to a map when you leave your stronghold or when you leave basically what is like an office in each of the main sections that you'll be encountering. So you have, you know, your stronghold map, which is very detailed and everything. But then outside of that, you have to remember the layout or, you know, you can follow the signs and whatnot, but it becomes a little difficult to read those signs when, you know, you're being chased by a monster half the time. Um, But ultimately, I think that forcing the player to memorize the layout to a certain degree of this environment, it can make it feel a little bit bigger than it actually is, Mm. which I think is the best approach you could have for a game that claims to be open world, gives the player this freedom, but then really, you know, it never loses, I suppose, the intimacy of that environment. Because if it ever started to feel like it was just this kind of sprawling, never-ending open world, I don't know. I don't know if the game would work nearly as well because then it loses a lot of that texture. It loses a lot of these little bite-sized immersive sim moments that are sprinkled throughout the entire thing. And if you lose that you can't claim to be an immersive sim because then it's like, okay, well, I'm sure I'll find another corridor down here that basically lets me climb through a vent or something. And what I really appreciated, I think, about the approach of this being an immersive sim is that there are numerous methods for getting through an encounter. It's not just, okay, well, look for a grate here, look for you know a key there. There really does feel like there is a good amount of freedom. Um, and also the nature of I suppose you could somewhat classify it as like a sub immersive sim of uh, like Metroidvania, right? You have to find a certain tool that lets you access certain environments. But in that freedom of dictating which tool you want to go for first, whether or not the player realizes it, you know, that is a nice facet that doesn't feel like it is linear. You know what I mean? Mm. There's some games that claim to be immersive sims, but at the end of the day, it's one or two options and the game largely plays out the same. But in this game, and we'll get more into in unpacking some of the mechanics and the tools in these things, it really does feel like an unparalleled amount of freedom for a game that, or rather a series, I would say, that's doing an immersive sim for the first time, you know, four games into the series. Yeah. And, yeah, as we sort of alluded to before when we talked about Rebirth, it's a series that, makes changes to that core idea a set of ideas while still retaining them and you, every time you see it you look at it and go makes sense still still works still doesn't betray anything about what the series is it's just it's still amnesia and i think that's been a struggle for a lot of people with this series is you do one game everyone expects the next game to be just that game again but bigger or something or better like that and I think the frictional taking of each one has been 
refreshing, you know, even with that game by the Chinese room as well. You have something about it, each game that takes it slightly different genre, maybe a slightly different way of doing things, which ironically, in some cases, are all games that get kind of lumped in together by people who don't really care for them, you know, and um, that's fine. I mean, that just makes this one all the more distinctive because it is such a leap in terms of what's being done. And yet everything about it still feels fundamentally like amnesia. You know, it's like, it's still using light and dark mechanics. So, you know, the one thing it's really ditched, I suppose, is the, you know, the fear. You know, you have the dark, you know, which thank fuck, because that would just make this death inducing, you know, I think (laughs) in terms of stress and you don't need that, but it then just uses that in a different way, you know, Instead of like, well, it's dark, you're going to go crazy, blah, blah, blah. It's now, it's dark. Now you're fucked more than you were 20 minutes ago because the creature is going to be around more. You know, so it's still using the ideas, but in different ways. I mean, I I suppose we're talking about it a little earlier than we planned here, but I go on about, you know, the source of light, you know, on your person. That's the thing that's changed with this series. And here it's like, here you have, a source of light that is technically infinite, but it needs to be charged up with a rip cord style pulley. And guess what? It's noisy as fuck. And you're the only thing <laughs> down in the bunker. And the more yeah. you, it needs to be pulled more and more to last longer and longer. And it still doesn't last very long. So you, know, you have to get in the habit of like rip pulling it once just to see in a dark corner to be sure of something. But whenever you see those overhead lights flicker in certain places, when the lights are on, and you, you're in a darker area, you kind of feel a bit hesitant because you know that's the sign that the creature is around somewhere. And, you know, in those dark areas, it becomes like, I could turn the light on, but do I want to turn the light on? Sort of thing. I love that about it. You know, it was very different from Rebirth with the uh, matches, which was a you know, fantastic little mechanic of just letting the wind blow them and having, you know, a finite amount of them and trying to time each one like that, or even, you know, the lantern from uh, The Dark Descent. And here it just becomes this whole new thing that has a whole different dynamic of fear to it. And that's what I said, subtly, it's there. Everything that amnesia is, in terms of that, is still there. It's just presented in a very different way. And I'm, you know, everything that this game does well is just that it is taking that series in a new direction you know and um you know one that is i don't know if it will be like the future of the series necessarily but i think it's something that is they'll take the best bits of this again and go okay well we learned from this now we'll do x x x y whatever with that one that would be the genius i would think of this studio right is the fact that they wouldn't make the next game just another immersive sim, this time set in, if we're thinking about the storytelling chronologically, like let's say it's set in World War II or another you know time period after that, a couple decades, you would hope that they wouldn't just give you another immersive sim, but rather do what they have been continually doing, which is taking the very most unique elements that are core to the Amnesia series and furthermore evolving on those mechanics while not losing the essence of them but making them make more sense for the new type of experience they're delivering. Like the match system that you mentioned, that's been integral since the very beginning. And now you get to the point where they've taken the light source aspect 
And rather than it just being this another thing of we're like, okay, you got to make this last as long as possible before it goes out, this and that, they've made it tie into the part where, you know, noise discipline is the number one thing you have to be worried about in this game. And the fact that there's that new trade-off of the light source is unlimited, but it can also be your death, yeah. is probably the best example of, again, how Frictional is able to just continually, you know, take what they've done and draw inspiration from that and evolve from that rather than de- delivering, I suppose, mechanics that feel overly foreign, I would I would say, to mm. the experience itself. Like, I don't feel that anything that's included in this, considering it's taking this massive swing of be- or massive shift of being an immersive sim, I feel like all of the mechanics, though, are derived from previous Amnesia games. Yes. It's just made more palatable to the new, you know, gameplay format. Um, and I think another great example of that is the fear mechanic, which you mentioned, right? It loses some of the finality of becoming scared, which when your character in the original games would, you know, their fear meter would hit a certain point when they would stare directly at the monster. I think at one point, you know, your head, your heart explodes or something like that, um, <laughs> or you kill yourself or there's some type of aspect like that, right? So it's like, okay, here's the trade-off. Don't stare at the monster. Otherwise it'll be your death here. That is removed, but you still have the fact that, you know, your vision gets blurred or constricted. You start hyperventilating, right? And, you know, that I think is in service of obscuring the monster, which is something that I go into detail um, with this week's uh, column that I do over at Dread XP, Monster Mania, where I highlight the handling of the beast and whatnot and how mm. it really is a smart utilization of immersive sim games in that. This game doesn't really have a major cinematic introduction to the beast, right? I think even in Alien Isolation, right? That's I'm going to keep coming back to that. You get that initial introduction to the Xenomorph where it's in your face. It basically is about to kill you during a cinematic. And then, you know, you get to see it in all its gruesome glory. And then, you know, you're saved at the last second or whatever. The bunker doesn't have a moment like that. And it actually obscures your view for a good chunk of time once you get into it before you actually see the monster in its entirety. And, you know, I think that that randomized nature of immersive Sims and giving the player that choice does a good job of allowing the beast to really be this mysterious hunter for far longer than a traditional game. Right. I think that a lot of games and, you know, even films, right. Struggle with showing too much too soon, which is something I've harped on about at length now. But I think that with this game, you know, because of my choices, my first introduction to the beast was I was standing next to one of the many holes in the wall that you see, which allows it's basically the highway system, right? Mm-hmm. For the beast where it can traverse the bunker at a moment's notice, no matter where you are because of this tunnel system. And because of my choices or, you know, whether I was very cautious of my noise discipline in these things, I didn't see the monster for a good chunk of time at the beginning of my playthrough until I was a dumbass and thought, Oh, I'm going to crank this flashlight next to a hole and then I saw like the claw come out slowly. I saw the fu- mm-hmm. the hot breath basically emitting from the hole in the wall. And that was fucking terrifying. And it was so much more impactful than, you know, some type of cinematic that has me come face to face with the monster. I see it in all its sort of morbid uh, design and whatnot. And then I'm kind of like, okay, yeah, I've seen everything there is to see. But because of the nature of the immersive sim and the way the monster you know, is introduced based on the player's actions, that was almost sort of delayed 
And I got even more gratification in finally seeing the monster after mm. that sort of initial delay. Yeah, it's a great system in that regard. I think, as you say, your first real introduction to it is you don't see it anyway, but like, which again is very much what Alien Isolation did, you know, where you have that bit where someone is pulled away by it and you don't see it. I mean, the difference there is we know what the alien looks like because of, you know, history. Um, here, you know, I mean, one of the surprising things early on, um, before the game came out was, you know, they, they released an image of it, you know, and at no point has it ever looked like that to me, you know, which is, yeah, but it, it does look like that. That's the point. But because its shape is seemingly ever changing, you know, in how it moves about, um, you know, which sort of kind of explains its, uh, you know, way it's sort of way it moves around the, the bunker. It is always kind of a weird surprise because it, you know, in some ways it always feels like it's a dinosaur kind of shape, you know, in terms of what it is and you hear the noises and I don't know, it's kind of sound association before you really get a good look at it. Um, if it gets you, you know, your view of it is very close and you, you don't see much of it. <laughs> yeah. The mystery is there. The outlines are just enough that, you know, it's unnatural. You understand that it's unnatural. And that's all that matters. You know, that's all that you need to know. And um, the more you learn about it, the harder it gets to sort of um, move around because you're stuck. You realise what it can and can't do. And unfortunately, the list of things it can't do are, are very small, you know, in terms of where you are. It has the upper hand in almost every way and you really don't get much out of it after that. But yeah, it's... For the most part, a really well-designed monster in terms of how it is, its behavior, what it looks like. I think there are times where it's a little frustrating, maybe in terms of like uh, how encounters go, because it is not quite one hit kill, but most of the time it is. If it knocks you down once, you're dead anyway, whatever, like that. Um, I do like that it does stuff like, you know, if you do sort of wound it and it happens to be coming towards you, it will just fucking knock you the fuck down while it runs off <laughs> and stuff like yeah. that. You know, it's, yeah, it's really interesting how it gets about the place and those little touches of seeing it coming out of the world. It, it has no grandstanding, as you said, it, it, with no set piece moment. It really isn't trying to, you know, present it as anything other than what it is. It's just there as a matter of fact. And that is just more terrifying. Love to unpack a little bit more about the utilization of the beast in the context of this space and, you know, it being in this immersive sim, but also talking a little bit more about, you know, how the player feels like they have more options, both offensively and defensively, as a result of the nature of the environment and it being an environment that really does promote experimentation. And, you know, in that experimentation, uh, I'm sure we both have a number of anecdotes that we'll be uh, sharing, but <laughs> we're going to take a quick break and more on that in a moment. And we are back from our break. And to unpack the beast a little bit more, because, you know, you've got my uh, my monster brain gears sort of churning, um, <laughs> you know, something that I found to be a standout that, again, I'm going to keep bringing it back to that Alien Isolation comparison. You know, in Alien Isolation, the player has this arsenal, but truly only half of the arsenal is really viable in briefly deterring the xenomorph, right? Mm. It's explosives, the flamethrower and whatnot. Everything else is basically useless. 
And to the credit of Amnesia the Bunker, I found that every single item that I picked up was a viable means for deterring the beast. You know, yeah. it was only going to be temporarily, uh, which is how it should be, right? If you want to retain the survival aspect of survival horror. But I found a great sense of empowerment in that from the fact that, you know, this game is not shy about talking about, oh, you can complete it without firing a shot. At the same time, you know, ammo is more limited in this than I think of any other sort of modern survival horror game that I've played in that when you pick up an ammo pack, there's quite literally like a single bullet in that pack, right? And at the same time, you know, you only find two firearms, which is a revolver and a shotgun. Uh, And the shotgun, you could have a playthrough where you don't even get that, right? So it's not like that's a staple of the arsenal even. But what I really appreciated was the fact that even this revolver could be used to momentarily stop the monster or, you know, of course, if you shoot it enough times, it's going to scurry away and retreat. But, you know, that gave me a sense of empowerment that you really can't waste any single resource that you have. But also it encouraged me to experiment with things that no item is useless, which, you know, when you play any survival horror game, chances are there's going to be one item that you're like, okay, well, yeah, it was included, but I didn't necessarily utilize it as much perhaps as the devs thought, or it's something that it's like, okay, this can only be used in a life or death situation. And in this Amnesia the Bunker, I was really taken with the idea that like every bottle I come across, it's like, okay, I barely have any inventory space. But if I drop this small med kit, then I could, you know, incorporate a cloth into it. And all of a sudden it's a Molotov. Yeah. Or I could just utilize the bottle as a distraction to, you know, to lure basically the monster into another part of a room that I'm in or something along those lines. Yeah. And, you know, that really lends itself to the immersive sim nature of the gameplay that I didn't mind when I died. Right. And I didn't mind taking chances because I knew that every piece of gear that I had had a alternative utilization of it that I was just too chicken shit to really find out what that true, you know, utilization was until I sort of, you know, put myself out there, made too much noise, threw something at a moment maybe I shouldn't normally have. And in that, I gained more appreciation just for how deep the mechanics of this game are. Yeah, it's really a remarkable set of mechanics. Like I said, very simple when you really think about them compared to most games. But I think what you can do with them just opens up more. I mean, it gets the best case scenario for doing this sort of thing where you have such a small set of tools and yeah, easily you could just use them in a very fundamental way and go, okay, this is for this, this is for that. But it's almost likely that you will just stumble upon an alternate use for something without realizing it, you know, whether it be a moment of panic or desperation when you're trying to get away and that's what i really liked about that part you have this revolver that isn't so much a weapon as a tool you know it's like yes you can use it to shoot the monster that's true but you know it's not ever with the intention of doing what the gun is supposed to do which is kill and you know that's not happening so it is a deterrent you know, a brief deterrent or you know it could shoot a lock or you know, it could shoot a barrel that you've placed, you know, there's explosive barrels you can drag to places and blow doors open. And obviously the, the consequence of that is, you know, more noise in an area. Um, so you have to kind of pre-plan those moments to know that you can hide somewhere. You know, there are places to hide. At the same time, 
you know, there were a couple of moments where realizing that a majority of doors do not actually require a key to open and you can blow them open, right? There was a couple of instances where I dragged a barrel from one part of the environment to this locked door, but it wasn't necessarily a door that I had to be in at that moment to get, you know, to complete the current um, goal that I had. Mm. So what I would do is I'd drag the barrel there, I would shoot it, it would, you know, be twofold in that the monster would be drawn to that noise, which is not the direction that I myself needed to head in. So not only was I destroying the door, but also I was luring the monster somewhere while I went in the complete opposite direction, which, you know, when you describe that, it sounds like, okay, yeah, it's pretty common. But again, the fact that the game gives you these mechanics and there's almost no handholding whatsoever, Mm. it makes those moments stand out so much more than if, you know, you had this lengthy tutorial or you found this document that basically tells you, hey, try this. It's more just playing around with the parts of the environment in this organic way that, you know, sometimes it's derived from frustration. I've died three times in this area. I'm fucking sick of dying. Let me make the biggest noise possible and go in the opposite direction and see what happens. Yeah. And that ends up being so much more satisfying. Yeah, here it is. Um, one of the best things about it, as I was saying, is like just taking a point where you've saved it and just experimenting for a bit, you know, branching out to different areas, seeing what's there with the knowledge that you're going to die rather than worry about anything. So, you know, you'll get, you'll fuel up the generator to max, you'll shoot when you want and do like that. So, you know, it gives you the freedom to play how you want within that sort of microcosm of how the game is. And then you can come back and like, replay it the way you want to play it you know with a bit of knowledge um imparted in that which was really interesting for this game when you think of how amnesia has dealt with death in the past and from the permanence and of uh, and the finality of stuff in the dark descent to rebirths you know constant second chancing with consequences and here you just have such a freedom over your death but yet it's more terrifying. You know, there's more at stake, it feels like. You know, you know that every action can be the death of you in a way that I don't think you really quite feel with Rebirth. And certainly Dark Descent has moments very akin to this, but they are all born from the idea that don't look at it, don't look at it, don't look at it. You know, that's that's where most of the fear is derived. Here it's just, you know, you know when you're fucked up always like that ahead of actually doing it and the slowness and methodical nature of everything you have to do means you don't react quick enough like even half a second it can be a difference between getting out of a place and not like slightly frustrating in terms of like maybe you want to close the door to hide in a cupboard and you know with the way, you know, you have to hold down a trigger and pull and like that. Yeah, you don't the tactile it. nature of those games. Yeah, you mean, you know, in the panic, you maybe don't pull it the right way or don't pull it the whole way shut or you think you're, you think you'll be safe behind something because it's, you know, you could duck behind it because games have taught you if I hide behind this thing, nothing's going to look for me right. behind here. And then, right. yeah, it doesn't work out that way because the monster doesn't work on a basis of, well, I'll only search this little area here where I heard the noise. It's like, no, I'll go a little further, a little further, a little further. It, it has reason. There's also the realization that the monster, when it 
you know, gets pissed off basically, which if it can't find you or can't locate the source of the noise, will either purposefully destroy parts of the environment or just in happenstance of it has this big swing. And then if it happens to collide with part of the environment, it'll shatter it if it's made out of wood. And there were several instances. And one of them is probably the most terrifying instance I've had this year of a game, um, which, you know, we always make it a point not to talk about games in terms of how scary they are. But this game is littered with those types of moments, I find, Mm -hmm. because, again, of how organically they occur. And in this case, I was hiding under a table and the monster came into this area it was pissed as shit. It couldn't find me. And it destroyed the table right next to me and just completely shattered <laughs> it. And I was like, if it keeps swinging, it's going to destroy the one that I'm under and then I'm fucked. Right. Yeah. And just by the skin of my teeth, it didn't. It swung again and it missed the, my table and it just kind of contr- uh, continued on with its sort of patrol of the area. And that was a legitimately terrifying moment that happened without, you know, whether it was a cutscene or whether it was, uh, you know, preordained in these things. It's just like, the fact that the way that they interact with the environment can have this sort of chaotic violence to it, mm-hmm. and that can have serious implications for you in the moment, or if it was the type of thing where it was an environment I had to return to, and it had destroyed both of those tables, yeah. I wouldn't be able to utilize that same means of momentary shelter. And I yes. find that ultimately that is the quality of this you know beast, this patrolling hunter, however you want to classify it, that really does differ from others similar to the xenomorph in that, you know, it can permanently alter some of the environments in a way that can fundamentally screw up your plans for returning. Because, you know, there are definitely going to be sections that, you know, don't necessarily require backtracking, but you're always got that, you know, thought in the back of your mind, my generator's about to die. I have to return back to these environments and scour for another gas jug to try to refill it. So there were plenty of instances where, I would return to previous environments and I was like, okay, I not only have to be extra careful with my noise discipline, but if shit goes off, all I can do is haul ass or, you know, throw a yeah. grenade basically, because other than that, I'm fucked because all of these sort of shelters that I had previously have been destroyed. <laughs> yeah, that's it. And as you said, it's not, it, not just the monster, the fact that you can alter the environment and, you know, in a, in a way of trying to make it easy for yourself getting into places without having to go and find the key and going too far afield. Sure. But then you almost guaranteed to need, uh, that space at some point and need the, you know, the, some of the doors have a locking system, which stops the monster, thankfully, uh, to some degree. But, um, yeah, it's a really interesting system because you have to remember it constantly. I mean, the safe room is like key to that. You know, it's safe because it, both doors to it lock and there are no holes in the wall, none of that. But, you know, you need to lock the fucking doors because <laughs> yeah. you want to be chased and come back and you're going to get right. Now, they're one-way locks as well, which means that if you head out one way and you happen to sort of go around to the other way and you are running back to sort of in a panic trying to get somewhere and think, trying to get through that other door, you get there and it's suddenly you just realize shit this door's locked from the outside yeah i've got to go around like that and i it's fucked like... myself many times doing that <laughs> or like you get in and in the panic to shut the door you don't quite get there in time it is but you know the more you understand what the game does and how you can sort of keep the beast away like just long enough to do something you get these really reactive moments that just 
as you say, to create personal anecdotes constantly. You know, um, there's a freedom to it that I was not expecting. You know, I, I mean, when we got the early look at this game, all, you know, it was intriguing, you know, when they were saying, oh, you know, you've got a gun now and that's cool. But, you know, ammo is limited and you know, it is, I mean, the fact you have to check how much ammo you've got by to literally looking, you know, in the revolver and uh, checking how much is left. And Which I'm each a noted fan of since the the Condemned is. Yeah, yeah. This, uh, Condemned is a very good reference point, again, with a lot of what this game does, um, just in terms of the griminess, the the realism that isn't quite realism sort of thing. It's, uh, it's hyper-realism would be the best way to put it. And, yeah, it's a fascinating little mini-world that you are put in with these tools at your disposal. And um, yeah, it, it's one that, as you say, I, I, I want to keep going back to in a way to see how I could do things differently. And, you know, that's the joy of any game that really takes immersive sim natures to its heart but the other part of it is the survival horror stuff you know it's like you have limited resources you know you can't just upgrade yourself or anything like that it is very much a case of you can get more inventory space you know which is very survival horror and you know you can pick up more ammo more gas whatever but you know as systems go it is very finite and it's very quick to teach you that you can go hour, you know, a couple of hours without finding another bullet for the gun, you know, like that. And like, I think even when you get the shotgun, you maybe will find, you would be lucky if you found half a dozen shells for it. And this is the thing, and it goes back to what we were saying. They're not weapons, they're deterrents, and that's it. That's all you can use them as. Uh, and that really fits in wonderfully with that. Well, that's such an easy balance to fuck up, right? And I think mm. that that was something that made isolation so interesting initially where it's like, okay, you have you know, a magnum, you have a shotgun within the first two hours of the game or whatever, which is normally a moment of empowerment for the player. But in that game, they're not even deterrents for the main threat. Yeah. And in this, you know, it is empowering to get firearms, but it's a similar issue where they, these are actually just brief deterrents for inevitably, you know, you being munched on by the monster. But ultimately, I still d found it to be even more empowering in this game because of the fact that they are these multi-tooled items. Yeah. Like, with, as we've mentioned now, with the revolver, you can open doors with it. You can also trigger tripwires, right? The tripwires that are either tied to a grenade or uh, a gas grenade, right? So little things like that. There's multi-uses for everything. And even with the shotgun, you know, it's a later portion of the game, but you can shoot through doors with the shotgun or, you know, at one point towards the end when you have this sort of final showdown, you can destroy bridges with it, um, which just, again, proves that the fact that you have these weapons, it's empowering, but it's not through the traditional means of like, OK, here's a shotgun. Now I'm invulnerable. I can kill every single thing that comes within eye shot of me. Um, one thing, though, you know, in chatting with you <laughs> Funny enough, we had this whole idea of like, oh, we'll end with anecdotes, but just the more we talk, it's like you can't not bring up anecdotes with this game, which speaks to how successful it is, I think, at being an immersive sim. With that stronghold room that you have, you have those two doors that are steel that it can't break through. They have locks on them. But if you're like me and you were locking the one that is connected to the main hall that you utilize the most, 
then you were probably a dumbass and weren't worrying about the back door. So I had this fantastic instance where it was a rare instance too, because typically if you are cautious about your noise discipline in these things where you, you know, have been powering your generator adequately, then the monster typically doesn't follow you past a main sort of area that's tied to an objective, right? It's kind of easy to lose it after a certain point. But ultimately, I was being careless and I just ran full speed to the, you know, the safe room. The monster followed me all the way there. I slammed the door in its face and locked it at just, you know, the final second and I was safe. And then the monster like howled and ran away. And I was like, oh, well, yeah, fuck you. Like, I'm safe. You can't touch me. <laughs> and then I realized as I turned around slowly to save that the back door was still open. And I got to it at the literal second that the monster had <laughs> circled around and was checking the back door and almost had me for a snack. Like, that was such a moment that I will forever cherish this game for because it was that moment of, oh, okay, I've outsmarted the monster. I've mastered the mechanics of this game that I don't really need to be scared. And then the second later, I have sort of the rug pulled out from underneath my master plan, if you will, and almost made the look a fool at overestimating my confidence based on my limited at that time understanding of the mechanics. And that's just something that I don't know. I Again, we don't talk a lot about how scary a game is or, you know, what really was truly terrifying or bone chilling these kinds of like, I don't know, subjective conversations about what is scary and what isn't. But like in that moment, being overconfident based on my supposed understandings of mechanics mm -hmm. and then realizing I'd forgotten the most basic thing, which is like you lock every door you come to if you're able to. Yeah. Um, it's just a fantastic organic little moment like that. Yeah. I mean, that's the immersive part of immersive sims. You, know, you think in real world, world terms and that means you can make real world mistakes, you know, where you, a slip of the mind can be like, shit, I forgot to lock this. You know, like that. it's, it's there. And the anecdote ends one way or the other as a result. Um, you know, one of my favorite things anecdotally when going through experimentation of like, is like, if I can get in that door with a grenade. Where can I hide like that? Stuff like that. And there's one fairly early in the, in the main area where you can, you need to pull up a door and, to, and or, or get in it with a key or whatever. And, I had a grenade by this point and thought, you know, I could do it and I could go back up into the room just beyond it, which is like a, a dinner hall style sort of thing, that sort of thing. And I could just hide in the cupboard in there when, when it happened. So I threw it, ran over, back to the cupboard. So the explosion happened, heard the monster noises and all that stuff like that. I was fucking struggling with the door to shut it properly because I was in a panic to make it happen in time. Like that, so waited, heard it going around, kind of see it through the slats as it was moving around the place, and you know it did the whole frustrated noise it does when it goes away temporarily at least, and like I went out like that over to the room, saw you know that it worked, the door had been blown up by the grenade like that, and I went in, and because the door pieces were everywhere, you know. Yep. It made enough noise that yep. to get the fucker back out again. <laughs> and then I was stuck. Yeah. Because I was like, I forgot suddenly in that panicked moment, I forget what the layout is. And it's like, I could run or I could, and so when it started coming out, I had two minds on me. It was like, I need to run. I need to shoot like that. And I didn't either. <laughs> so it's like, and I just ended up pausing and freezing on the spot. And it was just like, it felt perfect and pure. 
in terms of a moment of panic where you're like, shit, I don't want to do like that. And you are just punished for it. And I love when a game does that, where it just, it berates you in a way that is almost comical. You're like, fuck. Yeah. When we always talk about horror movies and, oh, I wouldn't do that in that situation or I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't act like that. And it's like, you would, because people do just stand and stare. At, the perfect their, distillation of that. Yeah, absolutely. And it further, you know, serves as an example of every single death as a learning experience, mm. because I definitely had a similar death where I figured, oh, well, fuck it. These are just bits of debris. I'll just casually walk through them. And then I had triggered the monster at a certain point, And then that caused him to be in the area. Even though I tried to hide, it's still patrolling in that area. And if you don't have an adequate shelter, it's going to fucking find you sooner than it won't. So, you know, I think that that ultimately is the quality that I really appreciate of this game is that no matter how big your inventory is, no matter how well stocked you are, you really can't get ever get too, too comfortable because you're going to slip up in a simple yeah. way like that. And then it ends up being this kind of, I suppose at a certain point in the game, it's not so much a learning experience, but more like the game saying, hey, man, like you need to take it down a notch. Like <laughs> just because you think you're hot shit right now, if you keep fucking about, then it's going to be a lot more difficult then, you know, if you keep trying to proceed with this sort of like, I don't know, when you think about Doom, like you're this super marine that has all these guns, I, I'm invulnerable. But if you approach the rest of the game like that, even once you get the shotgun later on, it's like, man, that barely makes a difference. It, you know, gives you more options, but it's not this sort of like end all be all of the game where it's like, oh, I've got the shotgun. Now I can really, you know, take a stand. It's like, okay, but as soon as you get the shotgun, it's like one shell doesn't cause it to run away or retreat. And at the same time, as you mentioned, you know, you find yourself in this very tense moment where it's life or death. You can take maybe a hit at most. Do you remember how many shells you have? Yeah. It's kind of that dirty hairy moment. It's like, oh, and all this excitement, I forgot. Did I fire once or twice? Or did I yeah. have two bullets or three bullets or whatever? It's kind of the thing where it's fantastic to have an experience that I've seen some people take the task for it, you know, quote unquote, being too short. Truly, you know, the game itself feels that it is the perfect length because the player gets to dictate, you know, how familiar they want to become with the environment. Are yeah. they going to take the time to explore more than they might actually have to to meet one of the objectives? And again, I think that the objectives outside of, you know, trying to escape the bunker, which requires you to find dynamite, find the TNT plunge that basically allows you to have freedom you know, the goals are based around other sort of items that allow you to traverse the bunker a little more comfortably. You yeah. find the wire cutter, you find the wrench that lets you get through grates. The wire cutter lets you cut through wires and chains, but also trip wires that you find, which yeah. brings me to another anecdote um, <laughs> of which I have many, it seems. But, you know, there's various, whether it's a flare, a gas grenade or a frag grenade, trip wires throughout the world of the bunker. And in one instance, I was all out of ammo, no grenades, but I had a bottle. And so when I was being foolish and, you know, cranked my flashlight to the degree that the monster showed up, I was like, oh, fuck, what do I do? And so I looked around and I saw a tripwire and I took the bottle and I threw it in the direction of the tripwire, which caused the monster to run through a fragmentation mine, which then sent it scurrying out of the environment, which yeah. is... Again, such this beautiful microcosm moment that I was never told I could do in the game outright. 
but through the experimentation of it and, you know, my general, you know, fear of like, oh, fuck, I'm going to have to reload and then retrace yeah. my steps and all this. I was like, well, I might as well try something rather than cower here and die. And it ended up being this rewarding, not only hilarious moments of the monster, you know, basically bringing about its own retreat, but also, oh, OK, you know, I can interact with the environment and bait the monster in ways that can be to my benefit. Granted, also, if you're me and you tried that again and you miss and it goes in the complete opposite direction, the monster stays in the area and then you're fucked anyways. But it's nice to have multiple sort of routes for getting through an encounter rather than just sort of the one or two standbys, if you will. Yeah. I mean, as much as it is brutal and, and you would end up mostly just failing because you don't think of something in time, you know, the more you get used to it, the more you like, I know I can do this. Once you have a knowledge of what you can do, it really does just sort of push that on. Um, something we didn't really touch upon yet that I wanted to um, is how well this game utilizes the old found letters system, you know, and the found thing and found and collectibles even. You know, these are things that in most games are just there as a thing, as a side thing to do that they may give you extra information just as a consequence of that here they're one and the same you know collectibles are these dog tags that you must turn over in order to get what you need out of them but each has a code for the locker of whoever's body it, it belonged to and you know each locker of course contains certain items and that's great but the letters as well you know actually reading them gives you valuable inf information that um you know, it isn't just suddenly like, you know, updating your mission quest and like, ah, you read this and so now you know this and this is your marker. It's a case of you have to read it yourself fully to understand what knowledge you have gained from it. And, you know, I think the most it does is like ring a certain area to say this is an essential area, roughly, of where you'll find what you want. Um, but it doesn't tell you anything about how to get in or what to do or, or, or whatever. Um, and I really like that because in encourages you know the reading of those notes um probably the best example i've seen since control i think in terms of like having mm. a note system that felt yeah in universe felt right and um you know it was consistently compelling and sort of telling the story of the, the this enclosed world it's such a nonchalant way to basically create like mission markers yeah right because you're reading this letter that the gist of it is not always, you know, some, there are a few early on that are more blunt. It's like, you need this plunger to blow up the TNT, go look in the, you know, whatever maintenance quarters or something. Yeah. But, you know, generally speaking, it is mostly anecdotes of members of the French garrison that, you know, fell to the beast long before you got there or briefly after you got there rather, um, that are detailing things and by consequence of you reading them, you're learning a small fragment of the bigger picture of what you should be doing. Yeah. Um, which ultimately feels not only just very in-universe, if you will, um, but it also expands on the lore and whatnot. And I think that the dog tag system itself really aids the type of storytelling that's going on here with an immersive sim. Because when you give players a certain amount of freedom outside of the opening tutorial, mm. they could explore this world in, in a way that's unpredictable, obviously. So the fact that when you stumble upon certain letters, it doesn't feel it does feel out of context, right? To a certain yeah. degree, because you're like, okay, 
this is a character that I don't know anything about or this or that. But ultimately, the order in which you find things does not matter. It does not dictate your ultimate understanding of the world as a whole because you're finding these breadcrumbs and it's – I really do think it is a great talent and credit to the writers that they're able to include these breadcrumbs. But in learning something about that, it's not necessarily always – requiring me to have found something that either came before it or if I miss something before it, I'm all of a sudden I'm like, well, what the fuck does this have to do with like it never get, comes down to that level of confusion, yeah. which, again, you know, I think is something that could very easily happen where it's like, OK, we want to have this open world, but then you don't, you know, put the narrative details in there in a way that can be accessible based on the you know sporadic sort of, uh, you know, inclinations that certain players may have yeah. with exploring a world in these things. I also think in talking about a lack of traditional handholding, the photos that you find are, you know, ingenious. Again, talking about having these relics that the players can find in this world yeah. that don't spell out exactly, but through the visual, you know, medium of photos, you can derive what they're telling you. Like yeah. early on, when you come across tripwires, it's like, what do you do to get past them? Well, you take a short sprint and then you leap over them, which, you know, has the added uh, to the players, you know, dismay of making a lot of noise, which can draw the monster, which I did on many occasions, as I'm sure you did <laughs> once or twice. But when you find the photo of, oh, you can use the bolt cutters on more than chains, it's like, oh, shit, all of a sudden I have this way to further sort of nullify my noise discipline. Yeah. Um, and that was something that, you know, maybe it says more about me than I should reveal. But, you know, <laughs> when I got the bolt cutters, I didn't immediately think, oh, I can use these on the tripwire. So it was the type of thing where as I found that photo, I was like, oh, cool. This is a new way for me to further, you know, be empowered through my lack of, you know, I suppose, spontaneity with either running or jumping over obstacles. Um, but again, that could be, the second or third of the main items you need to get through this game, um, which I think ultimately, well, I suppose as I say that now I'm thinking the fact that the procedurally generated nature of each playthrough, it's like, will that item even be there in the same location? Probably not. Will the same tripwires be in certain areas? Probably not. Which furthermore, it's surprising that you don't hear a lot of talk about this being roguelite in that regard, Mm. which you know, furthermore, is something that I'm excited about experiencing again in a playthrough. I could see myself coming back to this game in a matter of weeks, whereas, you know, the nature of coverage or, you know, this or that, it's like I don't replay games a great deal uh, within a short span of time because I just don't have the time. But with something like this that is as short as it is, that has the randomized nature of the way in which things are generated, I could see myself coming back to this, like I said, in weeks rather than, you know, months or years. Yeah, I mean, that is the benefit of it being a short, very self-contained experience is that they have the room to allow that re- replayability to sort of come into it because you you are dealing with a smaller set of circumstances and it's still a lot, you know, for what it is. Sure, it's not infinite price. You know, nobody should be searching for the infinite game that doesn't exist. Um, it's a game that is very much dealing in the world it's in the limitations of that world and the freedoms you can find within it. I mean, literally to the fact you could pick up anything that, that is pickable and like we've been talking about, you know, like use explosives or gun or whatever to open a door. You could just pick up fucking bricks and, and shut and throw them through doors with force. 
mad. I mean, it's so simple as a thing. And you kind of, one, it's the greatest trick this game keeps pulling on you is that your expectations of what an amnesia game is means, oh yeah, of course I can pick stuff up. It doesn't mean it means anything like that, you know, like that. And yet, you know, I think we were talking about Layers of Fear a few weeks ago. And, you know, there's a lot of like picking up stuff that doesn't matter that much in that game where you can just sort of look at it and go, okay, right, like that. And, um, you know, it means something to the story, but it isn't like, really doing much with it here it's like no you pick stuff up chuck it do whatever you want with it like that it it can be a deterrent it can be a way out you know it could be literally you could make a step to find your way into like a hole that was there you know that, that you couldn't reach as you were um i you know another thing we haven't mentioned you know, we keep talking about the beast but you know there is a, another sort of foe if you will down there which is the rats which uh, mm-hmm. yeah, always a great game if you've got rats. <laughs> uh, and these rats are fucking nasty little fuckers. Um, as soon as I saw them, I was like, oh, Neil is going to absolutely adore this. <laughs> yeah, and it ties perfectly with you know, the whole bunker situation, the trench warfare, um, you know, and how nasty that could be. You know, they are really these hyper-stylized rats, you know, in terms of they look demonic, almost like that, whether that's by design or because of what you know, story implications uh, sort of hint at, it's possible. It could be more than that. Um, but yeah, you know, they tend to chew on bodies where you know the bodies have dog tags on, as we were saying, that can be the codes for unlocking certain lockers and things. Or they might have a nice item, whatever, like that. So you can't just walk up to them. Not easy as that. They, they will attack. You know, simple as that. Um, so it's about finding a deterrent. And, you know, you can get one of those Molotovs, you know, again, Molotovs are great, you can make them, but they don't work unless you find a lighter, for instance, that, that means you can actually light them, otherwise they are just bottles of petrol, and basically useless, so, you know, hands up who found that out the hard way, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yep, absolutely. But, once again, you know, there are multiple, you know, once you have that moment where you're like, okay... I need to find a lighter so I can light these things. There is another light source, which is the torch, which you can use, or which I found uh, the hard way was the gas grenade, which I threw around a corner and it killed them. But then, you know, of course, being a little too cavalier, as I typically am, I was like, oh, it's probably dissipated and ran around the corner immediately gassed <laughs> myself and died. So it's the type of thing where I love that they the game introduces these very sort of fundamental logic based ways to overcome an obstacle but then there's multiple ways that you can apply that knowledge to other tools in that arsenal yeah. i keep bringing it back to that right is that you learn one fundamental but then there's three or four other options that abide by that you just have to think about it you know it's again it's as simple as that and i think that it's almost sort of a commentary on how players are conditioned to think well this is incorporating a new gameplay style, so there must be a complex solution to every problem. Yeah. And there's beauty in the simplicity because when you have that moment and you try something that it's like, why the fuck didn't I think to pick up a brick and throw it a couple of times? Yeah. You're like, that is so much more rewarding than, again, being told for a third time in a document, oh, just fucking throw a brick at it. It'll probably break, right? Yeah. You almost forget it because you're like, oh, I've got this handgun. Yeah. I've got this grenade. And then you're like, well, I don't need to go backwards to this early solution to something. 
But that early solution is just as viable in the first hour of the game as it is the last hour of the game. Yeah. So, I mean, there's no upgrading, really. Even when you get better tools, it just gives you more... Sure, it gives you more ways to do things. More but, options. Yeah. yeah, but you know, as you say, it, the simple options still remain just as true. Um, I, I want to go back to that anecdote I mentioned you know, about the grenade throwing and like that. It's When I tried it again or another time... I had this brainstorm that maybe I'd put and drag one of the barrels all the way to there, set it down and literally just jam it in front of the hole where the monster comes out and see if A, it would just stop it coming out there or B, if it comes out there, I could just shoot the barrel and it'll fuck off like that, like that. So yeah, I, I did the whole thing, did the green thing again. It came out like that and yeah, it pushed the barrel away and so... As soon as it was upright, shot the barrel, scared the fuck out of it, it fleed. That was it. <laughs> and it was just like, I love that just that was the moment I was like, it's that whole fucking, you know, it's the reason why so many people, people are like into what uh, Tears of the Kingdom is doing, you know, in terms of it's like, you know, itself a game that is embracing the immersive sim in so many ways, where, you know, it's the, the pen, apple, pineapple pen apple sort of thing you know that whole meme um you just combine things and just figure out your shit and more often than not you come up with something demented and wonderful that is your own personal little story and, and just amazing you know i mean for a game that is in some ways weaker at some aspects uh compared to what Amnesia has been in the past. Storytelling, I think, suffers a little bit just because of the nature of the game. I think the fact that it has just grown into this thing that is, you know, as I've said so many times, is still very much Amnesia, but is so much more, you know, hands-on, you know. We, we, and it's funny that we were talking about this with um, the Outlast Trials recently and how that kind of moved away from being this very plain sort of game where you just run away from things and you're very helpless to a game where you can kind of have a bit of defense, you can utilize the world around you a bit more. You know, these two games have a lot of similarities in that in terms of sort of evolving what you know the franchise to be. Um, arguably, you know, here the difference is, I said, it's been more successful in shifting in tiny ways throughout. But yeah, this is a really cool thing to see, you know, with these, especially in the indie horror space, that you can have such an evolution that isn't doing anything new, really, but it's taking the ideas of the games that were inspired by it and shaping it into something fresh and exciting. Um, especially at a time where, you know, we've only recently gone on about Redfall and how that was such a, an anti, arcane game by the time it was left as it was and it makes you worry about well if, if arcane aren't getting to do those kind of games Christ who's going to get to you know we mm. mentioned stuff like you know Gloomwood being a very good example of like doing a small scale immersive sim but this is like great middle ground you know and this is like it kind of places frictional upper tier you know I mean it should I think the other problem being just when it comes out again kind of gets cursed sort of thing i mean 
It's got like Neil Marshall levels of being cursed in terms of when they release their games at the minute, I think. <laughs> like that. But I don't think Amnesia will end up making anything as bad as like the reckoning. But it's still you know, I Or the I, lair. Or the lair. So you know but it at least hopefully we'll get something out of it. I think it's while the critical reception has been up and down, yeah, you know, to be fair, and I, I said to you before this, I, I can understand why, because it was the same for many games that it replicates. You, know, you have an audience that get those kind of games and those that don't. And then you get the super hardcore ones that are very sniffy about anything that isn't exactly, you know, like the most granular fucking thing ever. This isn't Deus sure. Ex in 2001. I don't give a shit. You know, that sort of thing. Right. You know? <laughs> and it's like, but yeah, it is. Uh, much like Rebirth, it's one of those games where I'm like, I can see why people don't like the game. I can see why people love the game. And in both cases, I'm very much just the, the mind of... They just keep coming back to the series and just proving that they know how to shape it. Yeah, To have three very different games, you know, four if you count machine for, a Machine for Pigs, is just fucking remarkable at this point. And have them all still connect in some way. Well, that I think is a big key to why the Amnesia series, and I don't think it ne- gets nearly enough credit for this as it should... The way that it's able to keep a level of continuity between all the games without the typical sort of jamming it down your throat. Yes. Maybe there was a couple of moments in the previous game where it was like overt. You couldn't miss it. Here's a connection to the Dark Descent, right? Because, you know, they had that sort of moment where they have um, a machine for pigs and whatnot, where it's kind of a little bit like, OK, we've had this period of time. This didn't have a moment where it's like in your face like that as, you know, um, Rebirth does. At a point, but I think ultimately, what I really liked about the bunker was is that it's drawing from the variables and the tone of Amnesia, the series, what that series does, what makes the series so singular, mm-hmm. rather than having a direct one to one narrative continuity in the forefront of the experience. Um, you know, really, what I was pleasantly surprised by, even though I would say the finale of this is probably the weaker portion of the experience for me. You have that final showdown with the beast and whatnot. But at the same time, in the realization of, oh, here's this architecture, alien architecture looks somewhat familiar. Oh, I'm connecting that to the, you know, the alien society introduced in Rebirth and whatnot. And ultimately, I thought that it was the most appropriate connecting to the world because ultimately, when I go back and replay this game now, I'm thinking about the knowledge of, you know, what the implications are of that, the reason for why this beast was created, which... I don't think we necessarily need to get into because it is a nice kind of surprise, but it furthermore leans into a smart way of connecting a universe together rather than it being like, well, if you don't play Rebirth, you're going to be fucking shit out of luck with knowing what this game is about. That type of thing, which, you know, the older I get, the less I'm interested in sort of like a Marvel blueprint, if you will, of creating universes where it's like, if I don't reference the previous game or a previous protagonist every hour this is not going to make a lick of sense. And I think that is ultimately what makes this game a perfect jumping off point for the Amnesia series. Helps it's on Game Pass, which I just learned today, which when you're talking about the reception to this game and people may be struggling a little bit to understanding what is so special about the bunker, yeah, maybe that could have been conveyed a little bit better in the marketing. But at the same time, Mm -hmm. I do think it is the type of Amnesia game or just survival horror game in general that's going to appreciate far better than what perhaps the initial 
reactions within the first few weeks or month of its release are. Because I think that more people that are able to be exposed to it through, you know, something like Game Pass, where it's like, sure, I'll fire this up one night because it's included with my subscription or whatever. And then you realize the level of depth that's there. And then you realize more and more the fact of how replayable it is and whatnot. Not to say I haven't gone back and played other Amnesia games, but the gameplay here just is so fundamentally tied to replayability and player choice to the degree that, you know, it is incredibly exciting, I think, for somebody, for people like us, you know, that spend a great deal of time with certain games and do replay games, but just coming off of it a couple days after finishing it, I'm just like, fuck, I want to go back. Because definitely that sense of urgency that we talked about so much with this experience that defines it, I definitely miss stuff. And that's exciting in a way that you can have this well-rounded experience that you feel like you have a good grasp on, that you're not sort of just left scratching your chin, but it's a world that encourages the player to want to get more out of it, whether or not it's that urgency or not. And I find that to be special on top of, you know, exciting to dive right back into it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm in two minds with this because, you know, I don't think there's a bad amnesia game anyway. So, but, you know, I really loved what Rebirth was doing in terms of like tying mechanics into story in terms of how that, yeah, and how that worked out. This is a bit looser in that sense, you know, where I don't think there's really that connection, you know, yeah, you die and it's really very much a traditional game over sort of thing you died sort of thing going harking back a bit more to what was and that's fine you know i, I think you know, it's it's evolving in other ways but you know I, that little bit of it i kind of missed because that's something i maybe would have liked to have seen an evolution of more than anything to uh see if you could do that especially within this sort of um roguelike you know immersive sim survival horror space where you could have done something really exciting but that could still be to come you know like i said they keep sort of jumping between different aspects of the original pattern that goes back to penumbra and chain you know shifting it a little bit to you know transform the whole package you know and i think this is the most important set of shifts they've had in terms of like a whole selection of things being different you know but narratively probably not you know i think that's it, it is Technically, one of the weaker ones, I think you know, the ending's good. Uh, I think in what it, it does, it, it leaves that very uncertain bleakness to it, which uh, feels right when I go back to Rebirth. Perfectly and, fitting. And, and, Dark Descent. and that thematically feels like a thing for this series anyway. It's like, don't fuck around with this shit. It's going to bite you back. And that's, <laughs> that's it. And that really is. And in many cases, nobody really understands what they're fucking with anyway until it's too late. And yeah, I think for the story, it works that it isn't exactly the same um, setup as Rebirth, which I think, you know, the whole idea of how death was structured in that game was a narrative choice on multiple levels, not just in terms of like what was going on, but, you know, there were outside forces basically egging you on to sort of keep on and make it on, giving you a mulligan effectively of a sort. Um, yeah, whereas here it's very much like a trial and error traditional sort of game in so many ways, which is no bad thing. Uh, I think where it just ties into Amnesia is on you know, a more mechanical level, you know, and uh, with a few bits and bobs that sort of 
as you say, connect it with what we've learned so far. You know, I think this sits in the middle of the games, effectively. I think, you know, The Dark Descent was before and um, Rebirth is set after. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, it all sort of... It's nice having these different time periods tell versions of the same story where, you know, there's stuff like this all around the world and it's um, it does open up that in some way. And, you know, this doesn't really go as full-on crazy as Rebirth did in terms of, like, uh, taking it to other places, you know, and really become, really digging into the cosmic horror of it all. This is um, more of a creature feature. And, and It feels more personal, which yeah. I think is what the environments and the game as a whole is perfectly suited for, right? I yes. think that yeah. if they had gone the route in the finale where it becomes even more cosmic horror, or the stakes become larger than life, then not only for me does that ending not work, but ultimately it feels at odds with just how intimate of an experience a majority of my time with the game has been, right? Yeah. And I think that ultimately if you start talking about alien races and the fate of the general world, it's like, okay, well, the ending that we get where basically your fate is up in the air due to, you know, the hell that's above after you've mm. escaped the hell that's below, those stakes don't necessarily line up or it's yes. almost kind of like who gives a fuck because the entire world is going to end, right? And I think that yeah. it's it's a testament again to using a historical context to base your story in, whereas the stakes, whether it's above or below, are your own life. And that's really all you can contend with, I think, mm. when you're dealing with that duality. Because, you know, if you're you know saving the world at some a certain point down below and then you get above, it's like, you, okay, well, I still might die at any given moment. Yeah. And I think that that is a nice sort of parallel between the two conflicts, right? Um, and if you get too big for, you know, a bunker, I suppose, in terms of the narrative stakes, then it kind of just all falls apart. And I suppose... The last thing I'll say in terms of the narrative is that I or as the game as a whole, I'm prefer that they take a swing from a gameplay standpoint, even if it means that at the end of the day that the narrative is not as I suppose cerebral or if my actions during my gameplay do not as fundamentally alter the narrative, mm-hmm. if you will. I think Again, I keep coming back to the fact that Frictional is continuing to evolve on what they've done previously while building from that sort of pool of either skill set or ultimately just storytelling or gameplay approach. I'm more in favor of them this time around leaning into the gameplay aspect more and being the sort of uh, evolution focus rather than, again, giving us something that plays very similar to the previous game, but then is more heavily about how your actions alter the narrative. Because, you know, it again, thinking to the future, it makes me even more excited for what they do next based on the previous two games because they have this blending of pushing the amnesia narrative in a way that, you know, players really have to think about their actions and the stakes of those actions and then introducing a game, new gameplay mechanics and whatnot and how you can traverse a world and seeing what they're able to come about with through blending both of those. I think that that makes it incredibly exciting not to get too far ahead of myself in terms of, uh, you know, (laughs) the (laughs) fact they just released a new game. But I think ultimately um, it is very exciting to view a brand that in my opinion, or a series rather, that only gets stronger because of the experimentation. 
you know, granted, I haven't played a machine for pigs, but at the same time, I would venture that there is some aspect of that that was built upon to deliver rebirth to us. Mm. And I can't speak to the specifics, but, you know, it speaks to ultimately how if you look back at each of the entries, they're influencing the one that comes next in a way that might initially not be apparent. But once you get through that, you can see how, you know, there it seems as if there is no whether it's narrative or gameplay standpoint that is sort of happenstance. It is very much in service of something mm. that could be a bridge to something much greater than you can see in the given moment. Yeah. And um, I know it must have been great pressure losing someone like Michaela Hedberg you know, in writing terms in the last two games that may have sort of made them look at a different approach to how they go about the games. And maybe that's an accident in its own way. But yeah, I, I like that about it, the, the uh, developer that you can look at what's going on and go, oh, you know what, we, we can do this, something different with this. We can make something fresh. And, you know, that was always the fun thing to look at uh, when we came to Rebirth was that there were lessons learned in the time in between when they'd made Soma. And, you know, one of the biggest complaints about that game was the monsters, you know, in terms of how punishing they were and how, in your, how, invasive they were to the experience and then rebirth was basically like taking it in the other direction and making it a bit accessible in a way but you know um narratively making that a consequence whereas here it's going back to that where it's like you thought those monsters were dickheads the, this one is much worse like something <laughs> like that and you yeah. but giving you the tools to deal with that a bit more mm-hmm. so again i like that sort of through fair that they've gone through in, in sort of designing these monsters throughout their time. Yeah, and I think that something that I should have brought up earlier when you mentioned the rats was the fact that they're introducing a second monster. That still is true to the fundamentals of the game where there's multiple utilizations of everything. So there's a couple of ways to get rid of the rats, but what I found again through experimentation was if I throw a bottle in their vicinity, it doesn't scare them, but it alerts the monster. And you know what rats are scared of more mm-hmm. than people? Are fucking monsters. <laughs> so the rat comes the monster comes through and scares the rats away, and all of a sudden I just have to you know, basically watch the clock until the monster fucks off and goes back yeah. into the wall. But the rats, it takes them a while to scurry back to that environment. So again, that is just such a smart utilization of kind of paring down almost the amount of monsters, but in that it becomes an an experience that feels much richer because both of the monsters that are in this game are in yeah. service of the gameplay and the fact that the gameplay's mission statement is essentially there's multiple solutions to every problem. And for a series that has never dabbled in the immersive sim space, I would say it's a pretty perfect execution in that regard of bringing that concept to a series that primarily has been focused on puzzles and narrative and the yeah. fact that they're able to make player choice such an integral part of the experience and, you know, in my personal opinion, I think one of the best entries in this series uh, from both the gameplay standpoint, but also in crafting a narrative that feels integral to that specific gameplay experience mm-hmm. is perfectly serviceable um, in that regard. But uh, if we don't have any last minute anecdotes of uh, <laughs> the monster either killing us or us, uh, you know, messing with the monster. Uh, I think that's going to do it for our chat on Amnesia the Bunker, a game that I'm so happy that we were able to, you know, finally get our hands on and chat about in some depth in the series as a whole. Yeah, and once again, for it to be 
as good as it is, is just wonderful. Yeah, you know, I think it, it's yeah, it's been some big horror experiences in, this year. You know, in terms of going back to franchises, which I think have been very good, but haven't really wowed me in a certain way. You know, and I think the freshness that is on show here is um, all the more exciting. You know, for that middle ground we have, you know, with what we cover on Horror Bites to the, the big AAA stuff that we get from Capcom and EA. And here you have Frictional once again in the middle just doing something really interesting and really just making me love the genre again, you know, all over again in a way that, you know, they did three years ago so and did, you know, 13 years ago. So that's remarkable and uh, long may it continue. Absolutely. But uh, I look forward to not only covering, uh, you know, future frictional projects with you, but ultimately just more games that inevitably will kind of reignite that love of games in a way, not to say that, you know, our love of horror or games in general is like waning, but it's just nice when you get a title that is able to sort of capture the wonderment, I suppose, of games. And that's not to be, you know, grandiose or whatever in my praise of the game, but ultimately it's just you know, when you sit down and play so many games as we do every week, every month and whatnot, it's kind of like you come across more experiences that feel like we're retreading rather than pushing things forwards in a way. And when you come to a series that is as rooted in survival horror as Amnesia is and looking all the way back to, you know, the penumbra days of Frictional's catalog and just being able to see the progress and the pushing this not only, you know, narrative stakes, technological stakes but gameplay stakes every single time it just it makes you kind of feel giddy like a kid again playing your first horror game or survival horror game or the first thing that makes you excited so yeah like i said i look forward to covering not only more frictional games with you but you know ultimately games that are able to capture that same sort of uh you know horror wonderment if you will but yeah. uh yeah you know as always it's a pleasure chatting horror with you for safe room back at you and uh, until next time thank you for listening to another episode of safe room if you enjoy the show, please rate us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at SafeRoomPod for show updates. You can also follow our HorrorBytes Twitter page at HorrorBytes underscore SR. You can join our Discord channel, Safe Room Podcast, to chat with us and other horror fans about the genre we love. You can drop us an email at SafeRoomPod at gmail.com if you'd like to share your thoughts on a game we're going to cover. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you guys next Monday.